We lift up your praise in this house tonight. We ask that the name of Jesus be glorified. We ask that our lives be edified. We ask that the entrance of your word will bring light, that it will bring understanding. Let the praises that's been given this in this house tonight rise up to your true room and let your blessings come tumbling down upon us in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. So Holy Spirit, we ask that you come as the counselor, as the teacher, and as the comforter. Edify our lives tonight. Glorify Jesus. Bring light, bring revelation, bring understanding. In Jesus' name we have prayed. And the people of God say, Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Well, good evening, uh, Kensington Temple. It is fantastic to be with you at the 5 o'clock service tonight. I um, want to welcome those who are watching uh, on the internet. Thank you for joining us. May God bless you. First, I'd like to apologize for my voice. I have a little bit of cold. I've been fighting for some time. So if I, see, if I seem to be uh, speaking through my nose, it's the cold. Um, uh, so please do, do pardon me. Um, I also want to say thank you to Pastor Colling and the leadership for asking me to come and, uh, you know, uh, be part of the ministry here tonight. It's uh, always good to, uh, uh, and fantastic to be on this platform to minister to the, to the people of God. Amen. Um, tonight, we are starting a series on the principles of walking in the Spirit. And I've been given the, the topic, what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? Amen. So my introductory uh, message tonight to this series that is going to continue for some time, I believe by our associate senior minister, Bruce Atkinson, is going to be, you know, about the Holy Spirit. Uh, and m my topic tonight is to bring uh, to us what it means to be filled with the Spirit. Amen. So if you've got your Bibles, please go with me uh, to the book of Ephesians chapter 5. I want to start from the book of Ephesians chapter 5 tonight, and I want us to look from verse 18. Hallelujah. Ephesians chapter 5, I want to start reading from verse 18. Here the Bible says, uh, the Apostle Paul writes to the Ephesian church and he says, and do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Speaking to one another in Psalms, in hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. I like to say that there's Absolutely no way we can start talking about being filled with the Holy Spirit without first talking about the Holy Spirit himself. And most of us know that the Holy Spirit himself is the third person in the Godhead. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And it is very, very important for us to know that as Christians today, there's absolutely no way we can live our Christian lives without the help of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said to the disciples, I'm going back to the Father, but I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to come to you. I'm going to send you a helper. So the Holy Spirit is our helper. The Holy Spirit is the one that has been sent to help us. 
we are baptized into the body of Christ by the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is here uh, with us, on us, around us, and in us to help us walk the Christian walk. And so here in Galatians, Paul was saying, sorry, in Ephesians, Paul was saying to the Ephesians, you have to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And uh, for us, it is very important for us to know that this is not a suggestion, it's a command. It's just like love in the Bible. Love everywhere you find love in the New Testament is not a suggestion, it's a command. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. You shall love your, your neighbor as yourself. Love is always a command. Here, Paul is also saying, be filled with the Spirit is a command. When we look at the English language, uh, when I, you know, when we talk about being filled, if I say to somebody, uh, can you please fill this glass for me? That means putting something in another thing. Amen. Fill, you know, I want a cup of coffee, a cup of tea. You filled my glass. You know, you go to the pub, you drink a pint of, of beer. I'm not asking you to go to the pub, okay? All right. Okay. But it's about putting something in another thing. Whereas the Greek word that Paul used in Ephesians here to be filled with the Spirit can actually mean three different things. Can mean three different things. And I want us to look at those things. I want us to look at what it could mean. Um, the, the, the Greek word plero has three shades of meaning. The first one carries the idea of pressure. Amen. To apply pressure on something. The second one carries the idea of something that permeates another thing. Like a kind of a reverse osmosis. Osmosis is, is, a, is a process in biology, most of us will know, where a, a, a lesser substance goes through a semi-permeable membrane into a, you know, a higher substance. But in this case, it's a reversal of that because the Holy Spirit is the one that wants to permeate our lives. The Holy Spirit is the one that wants to apply pressure on our lives. And the third one, the third uh, meaning, is the, is the meaning that, 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 that could mean domination or total control. So Paul is saying, be filled with the Spirit here, is that you must willingly yield to the Holy Spirit to put pressure on your life to mold the character of Christ into your life. You must be willing to submit to the Holy Spirit, to yield willingly to the Holy Spirit, that he may permeate your life. Amen. We have control of our lives. We can say yes to the Lord. We can say no to the Lord. But here, when we yield to him, he comes and he infuses our lives with the character of Christ. But the third one is about domination. And we know that when we, we, we talk about domination, it, it has a negative connotation uh, 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 in, in life out there. Nobody wants to be dominated. Nobody wants to be controlled. Uh, when somebody sometimes, sometimes in discipleship, it's misunderstood. When you are trying to, uh, uh, to uh, help people grow and mature in their relationship with the Lord, and you are so uncomfortable with people who go around in circles, I remember a couple of years ago when I was still here in the, in the, in the, in the, in the main church, I had a disciple. He's been in England for a long time, you know, came from Africa, has worked in the same place for 15 years, decided I want to come to Bible school. Came to Bible school, had the, you know, maybe misfortune of coming to myself. May God forgive me, hallelujah. Hallelujah. <laughs> 
But I was very, very uncomfortable with the fact that this guy was not making progress in his life. And he was not an 18-year-old. He was a 48-year-old man. And I was saying to him, no, your life is going around in circles. God did not call you into the kingdom for you not to make progress in, into your life. And so I applied a little bit of pressure on him to move forward. Finally, he came to me and said, look, this is the challenge. My status, my blah, blah, I don't have a, you know, a stay in this country. I said, no problem. Go find a lawyer. He found a lawyer. To cut the long story short, you know, the lawyer worked very hard with him, and he got his stay legally. Amen. So after three months, I called him again and said, hallelujah. It's time to go forward. He said, what do you mean? I said, it's time to go forward. Number one, you see that house you've been living at for 15 years, you've got to move out. That house, as you know, he, and the reason was that he came to the cell one day and he said, Oh, my landlady, you know, and her daughter, this was what they were doing to me. They were doing, I said, Stop complaining, it's their house. You don't like what they are doing, you got to move out. You've been dwelling on this mountain for too long, it's time to move on. Everything you said was keeping you from moving forward before God has taken it away from you. So now it's time to go forward. And I said, you see, that, that, that warehouse where you've been driving a forklift for 15 years, you've got to think about something else now. You've graduated from the Bible school, you've done this. So I applied a little bit of pressure on him. And um, one of our brothers in the church was walking in a very good place. He said, I, you know, I want you to send me job opportunities in your place. So I sent it to him. There are so many jobs here. Apply for one. Apply for one. And it was so over. Those things were so overwhelming for him. We sat at her. At a, at, a, at a cell meeting one day, and I said, so what are you doing about the things I sent to you? So, look, look, this pressure is too much. This is almost like controlling. And I had to back down. I had to back away. Because one of the things that we don't want is for people to say we are controlling. But sometimes discipleship means you apply pressure. And the Holy Spirit, we know when the Bible says that we must allow him to control our lives, he's going to come and apply pressure in order to form the character of Christ in us. Amen. We need that pressure. Amen. And that pressure is, not, is, is, to, is to help us know what exactly is on the inside of us. Unless the pressures of life come upon you, you will never really know what you carry on the inside. There are a lot of you, you, you've been through so many trainees in this house, you've been through so, many, through so many services in this house, you are still sitting, you know, in the same place, you know, for the past three years, you haven't moved forward. I am asking the Holy Spirit to apply a little bit of pressure on your life so that you can know that you carry something on the inside of you that is for the benefit of the, of, of, of the kingdom of God. Oh, please say amen. amen. Hallelujah. Sometimes the Holy Spirit brings that pressure on us to shape our character. Our lives, our mind, everything about us sometimes is like, it's like a sponge. When you throw a sponge in water, it soaks the water. Whatever you put a sponge in, it's going to soak it up. When you apply a little bit of pressure on the sponge, whatever is in that sponge is going to come out. And so sometimes also, we need that pressure of the Holy Spirit in our lives to, to, to move us forward. To move us forward. And so, here Paul says, the Holy Spirit comes. He wants to control your life. So, he starts with a negative 
word, so to speak, in verse 18. He says, and don't be, don't be drunk with wine. Now, if a drunk comes in here right now, we know that person is drunk. Why? Because they are controlled by the alcohol in them. You would know immediately that guy is drunk. Amen. The, the police know how to, to tell, you know, if you're over the limit. They put one finger in you and want you to focus. You, you can't focus. Because it's a different spirit controlling you. They want you to walk in a straight line, put your, your feet in one, and, you know, you, you're just shaking. Because there's another thing controlling you. But when the Holy Spirit comes to dominate our lives and to control our lives, when we allow him to fill us, then we are, we, are, we are built for greater things. Can I hear you say amen? So, he wants to dominate. He wants to control our lives. Why? Because we cannot walk the walk of the Spirit without the Holy Spirit controlling us. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Before you can be led by the Spirit, before you can walk in the Spirit, you must be filled with the Spirit. Now, there's, a, there's, there's quite a few confusions out, out there, some discussions, theological discussion. Being filled with the Spirit, is that the baptism of the Holy Spirit? No, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is once. You are baptized with the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. But the word, to be, the word here, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, actually means to keep being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's a daily thing. It's a continuous thing. It's every day we go back to the Holy Spirit and we say, fill me again. Lord, I come to you today. I empty myself of myself. I empty myself of flesh that you can fill me again. And it's not about the, 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 the sense of the presence of God that we, we sense when we are praying or when we are, when we are in a, a revival meeting of, of some sort and you can sense the presence of God and you think, oh, that's the Holy Spirit. Yes, it's the Holy Spirit. But that's not what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. To be filled with the Holy Spirit is something that you have to do consciously. It's something that you have to do consciously. Please go back with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Hallelujah. Because when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, your walk will be affected. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1 says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling which you are called. Here was Paul writing to the Ephesians in chapter 4, saying to them, I beg you, I am begging you as the prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ, I am begging you to walk worthy of the calling which, which you were called. So we are called with a calling. We all have a calling upon our lives. It's not only those people who minister on the platform or those people who are in full-time ministry that have a call upon their lives. We have all been called to follow Jesus. We have all been called to serve Jesus. But Paul says that it's a, a walk that we must walk. And it's a walk that must be worthy of the calling upon our lives. When you read from chapter 1 to chapter 3 of Ephesians, you see all the blessings of God. Everything that God has done for us. How he's blessed us with all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. In chapter, in chapter 2, sorry, in chapter 3, towards the end of chapter 3, uh, Paul says that God actually wants to fill us with his fullness. So he prays for us that we might come to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. The, the, the love of Jesus that cannot be known. 
It's so that we can, our, our capacity can be expanded so that God can pour all of his fullness to us, inside us. And he said, because of that, because God wants to do all these things, he begs us to walk worthy of the calling. And so the question is, how do we walk? What is this walk? What is this worthy walk that only the Holy Spirit can produce in us? Please look with me in verse 2. In verse 2 of chapter 4, it says, With all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you are called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all, who is above all and through all, and in you all. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Hallelujah. Here Paul says, we need to walk worthy. And how, is, how do we walk worthy? He said, number one, with the lowliness, with lowliness. What is lowliness? <laughs> That's a word that is not really out there anymore. It's to esteem one another, to, to esteem one another above each other. Jesus Christ said, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come, learn of me. I am lowly and I'm meek. The Lord himself said he is lowly. Lowliness is a thing of the heart. Humbleness, total humbleness before God. This is a character that is produced by the Holy Spirit. Meekness, there, uh, uh, which is also gentleness. It says in, in some translations, it says gentleness. Meekness is strength under control. Power under control. That's what meekness means. When you know you have authority to do something. But that authority, you know, James and John came to Jesus one day and said, look at these people, they've rejected you, Lord. Shall we call fire from heaven like Elijah to burn them to death? Jesus said, no, you guys have no idea what kind of spirit you have. This is not, a, this is not the, 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 the fire of Elijah. No, 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 no. No. They, they know in the name of Jesus Christ they could call fire from above. They, they knew they could exercise their strength and the power that Jesus has given them. When you know you have that power, you have that authority and you can exercise it, but you do it under control, that's meekness. Meekness is not cowardice at all. It is power under control. It is when you know you are right, but at the same time, you allow others to have their way instead of you for the sake of the kingdom. A couple of months ago... Uh, few months ago, I was in a meeting with some colleagues of mine, and something didn't quite go well the way we wanted it to go. There was an external influence that didn't allow what we wanted to do to go well. And, you know, I, I, I just thought to myself, I said, well, I am going to have a fight with this person that I'm holding responsible for this situation because I was in charge of organizing what was happening. And I thought, no, this person is wrong, and I am right. And I'm ready 
for war. So next week, when I see this person, there's going to be war. I was ready for war. Hallelujah. They are wrong, and I'm right. And I'm going to show them how they are wrong, and I'm right, and I'm really going to give it to them in the face. I'm not holding back, and I'm not holding any punches at all. And so we were in uh, Westminster Chapel, you know, the last grace for the city. And Pastor Colin preached a fantastic message. And the last song that we took was, I surrender all. (laughs) I surrender all. And I lifted up my hands and I was worshiping the Lord. I was about to ascend to the third heavens. When the Holy Spirit said, are you really sure you want to surrender it all? I said, yes, Lord. I want to surrender it all. And then he said, does that include the war next week? (laughs) And my hands came down. (laughs) And I sat down. Everything in my flesh was saying, they deserve what is coming to them. Because they are wrong and you are right. You know, and I was trying to bargain with the Holy Spirit. Can I not just, you know, the Bible says that when your brother has offended you, you need to go and show it to them. Can I not go and show it to them? The Holy Spirit said something. I said, Lord, but even Peter, even, even Paul said, I confronted Peter to his face. The problem with all my arguments with the Holy Spirit was that my motivation was wrong. My motive for wanting to fight was wrong. I wanted to show that I was right and they were wrong. That was might that was not right. So meekness is strength under control. This is how Paul says we walk worthy of our calling. And to us tonight, you might be in a place and thinking, no, uh, you know, that's you. You don't know what they've done to me. Oh, yes, I don't, but the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit does. And if you yield that situation to him, he will produce a character in you that will give you victory that you have never experienced. I didn't lose anything by not fighting. I had victory over my flesh. It was victory. Now, this is not a kind of victory that says, praise the Lord. Uh, you, know, uh, you know, there was somebody with cancer, and when they came, I laid my hands on them. They fell down under the power, and the cancer was gone. Hallelujah! Glory to God. But Satan can never attack you without your flesh. Satan can never have dominion over you without your flesh. And if you are going to be filled with the spirit, you must allow the flesh to go. The flesh must go. When the Holy Spirit comes to you, your helper comes to you and says, you've got to let it go. That is part of yielding to the Holy Spirit. And when we are yielded to him, he does a work in us. Hallelujah. That Satan, Satan has to back away from you because you are mastering the flesh. Paul says, I have to beat my flesh down every day. That's how we walk in the spirit. So Paul says, you must be lowly, you must be humble, you must be meek, and you must suffer long, long suffering. That's one thing that is not very popular in charismatic circles. We want it now, we want it right now, it's microwave, Lord. 
Lord, you are wasting too much time with this restaurant feed, you know, food. I'm going to McDonald's. No. I mean, the Greek word here for long-suffering is to be long-tempered. Because here, Paul was, is trying to, to teach us how we behave with one another in the church, in the unity of the body. One body, one Lord, one God, one faith, one baptism. He's talking about unity here. But he's saying, in order for that to happen among us, we must learn to walk in lowliness of heart with each other, in meekness with each other, to be long-suffering with each other. So I'm not quick-tempered when my brother offends me, but rather I'm quick to forgive. When my sister offends me, I'm not quick-tempered. I am quick. I, 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 want, I want to believe the best of my sister. I want to believe the best of my brother. I want to say, well, I don't really know whether they are having a bad hair day. Maybe this is my opportunity to minister to them. Instead of being angry with them and ready to, to bless them with the five-fold ministry. <laughs> maybe I should step back a bit and say, well, you know, maybe this is an opportunity for me to say, you know, how can I be of help? We are not, we, you don't blow your fuse. Your fuse is not so short. You know, you always, you always think that you are the right one and every other person is wrong. Amen. So Paul says, what the Holy Spirit is going to produce in us when we begin to take, when we begin to consciously want to walk worthy of our calling is to be long-tempered, to be, to be long-suffering. We're lowly, we're gentle, we're long-suffering, and then we bear with one another. You know, have you been on the phone to one of those uh, telecommunications companies? So bear with me a bit. A bit. Uh, you're going to hear a click, and you're going to hear this music playing. Uh, you, know, the, you know, don't drop. You know, we're still on the phone. We're just trying to do something. God help you if it's an 0844 number. Because the music will play long. That's what I call long suffering on the phone. <laughs> bear with me. Then after five minutes, they come back and say, bear with me. You know, and unfortunately, you might just be talking to somebody in Canada, in a call center in Canada. So he's going through all the manuals. What, what should I say to this person now? Or in India or, or somewhere in South Africa. You know, that's where the call centers are now. Yeah. Long suffering. Bear with me. But when Paul says we bear with one another, he's saying that new Christian or that new person to church may not know the protocol yet. They, they might not know how to behave in church yet. They might not know how to respond to some things yet. Bear with them. While they are learning the ropes, bear with them. Uh, be gentle with them as they, as they learn. That, that person comes to your cell and they, they're asking questions. So, so who is the father of God? If Jesus is the son of God, who is who's God's you know, wife? And you're thinking, what planet are you from? <laughs> what kind of questions are you asking? Ah, please bear with them. You were once, you know, a young Christian yourself. It's just like today, you know, you, you're, driving, you're driving home and you see somebody driving in front of you and they're driving so carefully. And then you, you, you look at them and there's a P on the back of their car. Just pass their test. You have to bear with them. I like those driving school cars where, you know, the, the, the driving instructor puts it on the back of the car. Remember, you are once a learner too. So be patient. It's about bearing with one another, not just bearing with one another, not just tolerating one another, but bearing with one another in love. So love is what undergirds everything. And the Holy Spirit 
wants you to know the love of Christ that passes knowledge. And unless we are filled with the Holy Spirit, unless he's the one controlling and dominating our lives every day, unless we go to him every day and empty ourselves and say, fill me again, shape my mind today, shape my thinking, shape my thoughts, mold me today, Lord. Help me to walk worthy of my calling then we cannot walk in the Spirit and we cannot be led by the Spirit. So being filled with the Spirit is the first thing that we must learn. Hallelujah. Now please go with me to Romans chapter 8. Romans 8. Hallelujah. How to be filled with the Spirit. Romans 8, verse 4. That the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you, now, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead, from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Now, the Holy Spirit has been from the beginning of time. Now here Paul says, in the end, the Holy Spirit is the one who's going to quicken our mortal bodies. He's the one that is going to regenerate our bodies and give us that immortality that we're going to have at the end of time. But when you look at Genesis, Genesis 1, you will see that the Holy Spirit was there at creation. He was there. The Bible says that in Genesis 1, in the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form. It was void. And there was darkness upon the face of the deep. It was chaos, so to speak. And then the Bible says that the Holy Spirit was moving over the surface of the deep. So there we see the Holy Spirit moving on the surface of the deep. He was assessing the situation. He's the executive arm of the Godhead. He makes things happen at the word of God. And then when God said, let there be light, bam, there was light. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is engaged in the work. The Holy Spirit will act upon the word, the word of God. Okay, so now, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit will come upon the prophets, and they will speak the word of God. Now, in the New Testament, at the birth of Jesus Christ, sorry, at the conception of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit was there again. Because God said to Gabriel, the angel Gabriel, I want you to take my word to Mary. And so he takes his word to Mary. 
You are highly favored. You are blessed among women. Ah, you're going to have a baby. You're going to conceive. You're going to have a baby. You would name the child Jesus. And Mary said, what kind of greeting is this? I, I don't know a man. The Gabriel said, don't worry about that. Don't worry about whether you know a man or not. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is going to overshadow you. The word of God came to Mary. Mary received the word. The Holy Spirit moves into action. Now, at the baptism of Jesus, he was there. The Bible says that the heavens opened up and the Holy Spirit descended upon him like a dove. And one of the gospels says he was thrust into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil uh, 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 by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit thrusted him into the, into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And then Luke says, when he has been tempted, he returned in the power of the Spirit. He returned in the power of the Spirit. So that when he entered into the synagogue and they handed him the scroll, the Bible says that he opened to the book of Isaiah and he said to them, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. For he has anointed me to preach the gospel, to the, the, the good news to the poor. So you see the work of the Holy Spirit. There. Not only that. Throughout his ministry, the Holy Spirit was at work throughout the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when he died, as we've just read, if the spirit of him that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, so we know that it's the Holy Spirit also that raised Jesus from the dead. If Jesus had the Holy Spirit, how much more? Those of us who he has called, when he was raised from the dead before he left the earth, he said to the disciples, I want you to stay in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Then you are going to be able to do the work that I've called you to do. And so that is why I believe in Ephesians 5, Paul says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's a command. Be filled and keep being filled with the Holy Spirit. Now the question is, how do I get filled? I believe getting filled with the Holy Spirit is about yielding to him completely. It's about daily surrendering to him. It's about desiring to encounter Jesus on a daily basis. It's about being conscious of the fact that we need to walk according to our calling. It's about wanting to be led by him. I want to be led in all the decisions that I take today in my life. Holy Spirit, I want, I want you to be the one applying the pressure in the right places. In everything I do today, I want the Holy Spirit to be the one permeating everything. In everything I want to do today, Holy Spirit, I want you to be the one controlling me, not wine. I want you to be the one controlling me, not the flesh. For in Galatians, Paul says, we know the works of the flesh. It is witchcraft. It is this. It is that. And the Bible says that if you, if you sow to the flesh, you will of the flesh reap corruption. But if you sow to the spirit, you will reap life. 
The Bible says that it's the spirit that gives life. The flesh profits us nothing. So in my opinion, I believe you are either walking in the flesh or you are walking in the spirit. You are either being filled with the flesh or you are full of the Holy Spirit. And the choice is ours. And I believe it's not just about coming to a service like this or coming to the 7 o'clock service and lifting up our holy hands to the Lord and the Holy Spirit swooping upon us and assuring us of his presence. Sometimes we feel the goose pimples. We know the Holy Spirit is not the goose pimples. In fact, sometimes somebody lays hands on you and you fall under the weight of the glory of God. Thank God for that. But it is how you conduct yourself that shows you are filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, you say, okay, what am I supposed to do? No, you're getting it wrong. It's not about what you do. It's about who you become. It's about who you become. We've been called. Everything that we, Jesus wants us to be, we already are. We're just walking towards that. We are called to be. We are not called to do. Well, in the process of becoming, there are things that we do. There are things that we must do. There are things that shows that we are Christians, that we are followers of Yeshua, that we are Christ-like in our conduct and in our ways. But it's about becoming somebody that carries the glory of God. Because the Bible says that we are being changed from glory to glory. It's about pursuing the glory of God. It's about saying, in everything that I do today, I want Christ to be glorified. I want Christ to be seen. Like some people will say, we've got four Gospels in the Bible, in the New Testament. You might be the fifth Gospel that somebody will read. Your life might be the fifth Gospel that somebody will read. It's about wanting to be controlled, deliberately wanting to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. Deliberately asking the Holy Spirit to come and dominate your thinking, your conduct, your ways, your speech, everything that you do. And I say to people, it's about being conscious about who you are. If you are conscious that you are a child of the Almighty God, that you have been born of the Spirit of God, that you have been washed in the blood of the Lamb, that you are a candidate of heaven, that God has blessed you with all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places, that you are chosen from the foundation of the world, that you are, that you are seated with Christ in the heavenly places, that you are a king and a priest unto your God. There are some things and some places you'll never be found. I once heard a preacher said, chapter 1 to chapter 3 of Ephesians says, this is where you are, your position in Christ. This is your position in Christ. Chapter 4, verse 1 says, Paul says, I beg you, I beseech you to walk according, you know, to walk worthy of your calling. This is your position in Christ. Don't walk here. Walk worthy means match your conduct, your way of life with where God has placed you in the heavenly places. So we are already there in the heavenly places. We are already there. In order for us to walk worthy, we have to be filled with the Spirit. I got married in 1999. 
And the reason is not far-fetched. It was because everybody was talking about the year two, 2000. The computers are going to crash. Everything is going to go haywire. The world might come to an end. So I thought, okay, I better do what I need to do before the world comes to an end. No, just kidding. <laughs> just, just kidding. But I got married in 1999. And I remembered 24th of December, 1998. 24th of December, 1998. I just come back from work. My, my flatmate had just traveled to the other part of, of, of the country. And I remember sitting on the carpet thinking about Christmas and watching TV and saying to the Lord, Lord, you know, I have nothing to give you for Christmas. I don't have anything to give you for Christmas. And you, you gave everything for me. So I said to him, I said, Lord, since I have no, no cash, no, nothing to give you for Christmas, I give myself to you for Christmas. And I was happy with myself. Because I felt very religious. I felt very righteous. Self-righteousness. Felt that. Yes, I am a gift to God for Christmas. Hallelujah. And then the Holy Spirit said, just for Christmas? <laughs> so I sat down there and thought about it for a few minutes. And I and said, no, Lord, no. I, Lord, I'm really sorry. I'm sorry. I, I want to be a gift to you all the rest of my life. Now I felt even more proud of myself. Hallelujah. And then the Holy Spirit said, do you really mean that? And I said, yes, Lord. I, I mean that, Lord. Hallelujah. I mean it. And then it's almost like a, a, an open vision. And I saw my life from January of that year till that very moment. And I saw that everything I prayed for for nine months was about marriage. God, I want to get married. God, I want to get married. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you this day. I bless you. Oh, Lord, I want to get married. Lord. <laughs> And in that moment of time, in that moment of time, I saw almost everything that the Holy Spirit has given me to handle for him in the house of God. I was the lay associate to the youth pastor. I was the president of the singles fellowship. I was an altar Levite to my pastor. I was so many things. You know, I was a, I was a teacher in the Believers Foundational class. Everything had fallen to the ground just because I wanted to get married. And I sat down there and I wept. Because I saw in that moment of time what my life was for 12 months. It wasn't that God wanted to stop me from getting married. It was just showing me. If you're going to say you are yielding your life to me for the rest of your life, not just for Christmas, you can't let this thing go. You can't let these things fall to the ground. I'm, I, this is where I've placed you. You must walk worthy. You must walk worthy. And so after I finished crying and I said, Holy Spirit, I'm going to make a bargain with you. And this is the bargain. For the next nine months, I will not ask anything for myself. I will pray for other people, but I will not ask anything for myself. As at that time, my wife and I, who was my fiancée then, we were having challenges with our families about our, our marriage. My family was being strong-headed. Her family was being stronger-headed. 
And so we, we just thought, okay, we just carry, you know, we just go ahead and, you know, things will sort themselves out later and so on. And so my wife was saying, you know, let's hold on. Let's just sort these things out before we go. I wanted to get married. You know, I prayed enough. God has shown me my life partner. I want to get married. The year 2K is coming. The year 2K must never catch up with me without marriage. <laughs> so my wife was the one that was saying, you know, just hold on, hold on. Now, to cut the long story short, in January, she was here in England. I was, you know, back in Nigeria. And she called me and said, let's get married in September. Whoa. I just promised the Lord <laughs> last month on the 24th of December, 1998, that I wasn't, I wasn't going to ask anything. Because now if you say, let's get married in nine months, that means I have to start praying. Lord, I need a house. Lord, I need a car. Lord, I need it. I have to. So I said, oh, oh, don't worry, don't worry, I'll call you back. She said, why are you not excited? You've been challenging me to let's go forward, go forward. Now you are not, you know, what's what's?" I said, there's no problem, I'll call you back. And so I got home that day and I knelt down. I said, Lord, you've got to talk to your daughter in London that this marriage is on hold for nine months. And the Holy Spirit said, no. I told her to call you. And I said, Lord, but I've just made you a promise. I've just made you a promise that, you know, I'm not going to do this. And then he gave me a scripture. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Align the Holy Spirit to control our lives. Align ourselves to be filled by the Spirit of God. Align him to permeate our lives. Align him to put pressure on us and allow him to dominate and control us can only bring you to one point. Amen. Glory upon glory upon glory upon glory. Amen. It's a conscious decision that we have to make as children of God that we will daily yield our lives to the Holy Spirit. We will come to him, not just when we have those big problems, not just when we face those big challenges. Not just when those things. Let, let's, not, let's stop using the Holy Spirit as the spare tire in our cars. Because we don't, we don't check the spare tires in our cars until you have a flat tire. Then suddenly you remember. <gasps> Do I have a flat tire? Do I have a spare tire? No. The Holy Spirit is the one that is called alongside us to be our helper. We can lean on him every day. And you know, he never complains. He never complains. And there's no way we can be transformed into the image of Christ without the help of the Holy Spirit. There's no way we can walk worthy of our calling without the Holy Spirit. There's no way we can walk in the Spirit. He is the Spirit. How can we walk in the Spirit without him? And he's ready every day. To fill us over and over and over again. As long as I'm ready to empty myself of myself. The Holy Spirit is ready to fill me again. And again. And again. And again. Keep being filled with the Holy Spirit. How do I get filled with the Holy Spirit? Allow his pressures in your life. Allow him to permeate everything in your life. And allow him to dominate and control your life. Paul says, don't be drunk with wine. Because that is going to control you. He's, 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 he's giving us an example. If something else is controlling you, your flesh, your own desires, 
if they are the ones that things pushing you and controlling you and motivating you, then the Holy Spirit has no space to fill you and to control you. So you must willingly yield yourself to the Holy Spirit and say, Lord, that fight next week, I give it up. Lord, that desire for that thing that is not pleasing to you, I give it up. And the reason is not because I want people to notice that I'm a Christian. No, it is because this is who I am and I am called to walk according to my calling. To walk worthy according to my calling. So this is not as much as about the things that I do. It's about becoming who I am. Let me finish by repeating myself as I often do. You can, you can meet Prince Harry or Prince William or Prince Charles outside of these doors today. And you can look them in the face and say, I don't believe you're a prince. What makes you think you're a prince? I don't accept you as a prince. I have no regard for you as a prince. Do you think, you know, Prince William or Prince Charles or even little George <laughs> would say, please, please recognize me as a prince? I'm really a prince in England. I'm from the royal house of Windsor. The queen is my grandmother. No, they would rather laugh at you and say, uh, they'll call one of their police details and say, can you call the ambulance? It seems that this guy has a problem up here. <laughs> Why? Because they know who they are. Right from when they were like that, they were told, you are a prince. Watch grandma. She doesn't wave like this. She just does that. <laughs> you know, a couple of years ago, Prince Harry was plastered. His face was plastered on the, on the pages of newspaper in this country. He's been caught smoking weed. You know, it was a big paparazzi stuff. And his father, Prince Charles, at least I love him for that. And for that one reason, and that one occasion, I love Prince Charles. I would like him more if he doesn't want to be the defender of the faiths. If he wants to be the defender of the faith, okay. It's a big difference being the defender of the faith and the defender of faiths. Big difference. Big difference. So his dad did not remonstrate with him. He just took him one day and took him to the psychiatric ward of a hospital and walked him through <laughs> the different categories of people whose minds have been warped by smoking weed. What he was in effect saying to his son is this. You can either be a prince or you can be here. You choose where you want to be. Choose who you want to be. Either a prince or somebody whose mind is lost due to foolishness. And you know the Holy Spirit is saying the same thing with us, to us today. Who do you want to be? A child of God. Spirit-filled. Led by the Holy Spirit. Walking in the Spirit. A child of the Most High God. There, seated with Christ in the heavenly places. Or do you want to be there? Now the challenge that we have sometimes is that as we go out on the street every day, nobody says, oh, you are a prince, you are a king. But then you've got to sing that song to yourself every day. 
I know who I am. I know who I am. Amen. Absolutely. I am yours and you are mine. I know I don't need anybody to call me a prince. I don't need anybody to call me a priest. I know I am a king and a priest to my God. It's a gift and I intend to enjoy that position that he's given me. Walking in the spirit is about becoming who we are. We are spirit-filled Christians. We are first and foremost spirit. We have a soul and we live in the flesh. We are spirits with souls. We live in bodies. If you are not a spirit, there's no way you can commune and you can commute between heaven and earth. We are the only group of people in the world that are seated, that are right here in Kensington Temple at this time of the day, and we are also seated with Christ in the heavenly places. We are partakers of God's divine nature. Hallelujah. And so as a spirit-filled Christian, you are not an ordinary person. You are extraordinary. You are not a natural person. You are a supernatural person. Now walk according to who you are. Hallelujah. That's why you cannot be afraid of the devil. Because by, by, by the victory of the cross, it's under your feet. By the victory of the cross, it's under your feet. Hallelujah. There are a lot of people that are afraid of witches and wizards. Do you know that in the scheme of things, in the occultic world, the witches and the wizards are the lowest on the rung of the ladder. Oh, pastor, this, the witchcraft, witches are chasing me. Turn around and chase them. In the name of Jesus Christ, I chase you. Amen. And if you are from where I come from also, you can call the fire of the Holy Ghost on them. Amen. Did you get something tonight? Please say with me, I will be filled with the Holy Spirit. I will yield my life to the Holy Spirit. I will be blessed by my helper, the Holy Spirit. I yield to you now, and I will yield to you tomorrow, that you may fill me, and fill me again, in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.